My goodness. It is a, uh, it's a privilege to be led in worship by the team that leads us every week. Thank you, guys. Um, man, I'm, I think I'm going to recover. I don't know. If I don't, that'll be okay. Let me start with the, the word of the Lord this morning from John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. It'll be on the screen for you behind me in just a moment, but we are continuing our series, um, What Love? What Love? A Journey Through the Gospel of John, Part 2. And if I had to give a title to this message this morning, I would say it is The Peace I Give. The Peace I Give. John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house. There are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know where I am going. And then Thomas, he says this. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Invade our hearts and minds even now. May we not be troubled. May we experience the peace that comes in union with Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, our hearts, as Grant said earlier, our hearts are restless. As a consequence, the environment we find ourselves in, our, our community is restless. Bring us peace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Again, our series is uh, What Love, and today's message, as I said, if I had to give it a title, I would say is The Peace That I Give. <clears throat> These first verses that uh, we read from John chapter 14, they are provoked by a question that Peter asks uh, in the verses prior to that. So we're going to take just a quick look back at, at chapter 13, beginning with verse um, 36. Uh, it says this, and Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. And Peter says, but why can't I come now, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. So that first set of verses was provoked by this question by Peter. And, and I think um, maybe this chapter will seem a little bit uh, disjunct, maybe, like um, 
kind of random, almost as if Jesus is going through kind of a bulleted list of things. And if you think about it, these are the last moments Jesus has with his disciples. So maybe that would make some sense that he's just trying to cram in everything he wants to tell his disciples because his time to die and his time to go away from them is imminent. At any moment, I mean, it is coming. But I really don't think that's the case here. I think if we look at all these things, we'll see there's kind of this overarching umbrella that Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples. And that truth is, you can have peace. All of these things I'm going to tell you for the sake of your peace. One thing I do think is a little strange that Jesus would say, don't let your hearts be troubled. And the reason I think that's a little strange is because, like I said, he's about to die. Now, good thing for you, good thing for me, good thing for the whole world that I'm not the savior of the world, because let me tell you what I would have said. If Peter asked that question to me, Keaton Harper would have said nothing. Do you know why? Because I would not have been with those goons, okay? If I'm about to die, I'm getting away by myself. I don't want to hear your problems. Just cut me out of it. I don't, I don't want to hear that nonsense. Oh, Jesus, we're anxious. We don't know where you're going. Give me a break. I'm about to die. And by the way, you're going to deny me. So whatever. Good thing I'm not the savior of the world. Amen? Amen? Yeah. <laughs> you better believe it's good for you guys. I'm not. I wouldn't be comforting them. And I don't think this is an odd. Uh, I don't think this is an odd thing for us. I uh, I like to run, and um, for those of you guys that that run or bike or anything that you have some kind of races, maybe you'll get this analogy. When you're preparing for a race, you have a training block, and in that training block, you build up mileage, you build up intensity, whatever the case may be. But as you get closer to race day, you enter into a phase of training called the taper. The purpose of the taper is to rest the body to get you to the start line fit, fresh, and healthy. That's the purpose of the taper. Maybe that analogy means nothing on you. I think this concept is still familiar to you. How many of you have told your kids this? Guys, you got to get a good night's rest because tomorrow is a big day, right? Tomorrow's a big day. What's the purpose of that? You're saying rest up. Because there's a big event coming. If I'm Jesus, I'm not hearing their nonsense problems. I'm resting up because there's a big event coming. Here's why the Savior of the world, one one reason why he is the Savior of the world. I don't think that Jesus viewed his episode of time on the cross as the only piece to the big event. He realizes these are the last moments with his disciples This is the big event. Yes, he's going to experience the magnitude of hanging on the cross, the physical demand on his body for that, the spiritual demand of the Father removing his presence from him, the weight of my sin and your sin, the sin of the world on the shoulders of the innocent Lamb of God, Jesus. That's a big event. Amen, church? But these are his last moments with his disciples. He's 
in the big event. He is pushing hard to the finish line. He's not tapering before the race. He's in the race, and he sees the finish line, and he is giving it all he has. He's in the middle of this with his disciples, and he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus didn't call them out for their anxiety. He saw these moments as part of the big event. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He speaks about going to prepare a place for his disciples. You'll notice the songs we picked this morning, they weren't random either. They all had something to do with this chapter. We sang the song one day this morning about heaven. And when he speaks about going to prepare a place for his disciples, I'm just going to fess up here. I used to think that meant that somehow Jesus was like now doing some kind of spiritual construction on our mansions over the hilltop or something. I don't know. Um, But Jesus is not, he doesn't have hammer and nails in hand. He's not preparing your dwelling place, um, literally speaking, in heaven, I don't believe. When he says, I go to prepare a place for you, he's telling them, I'm about to go to the cross. The way for you to enjoy the Father forever is about to happen. I'm going to pave the way through my death on the cross. So, that's, that's what he meant when he says, I go to prepare the way. In that set of verses we read, Thomas asks how, um, how they can know the way. How, how can we know the way, Jesus? We don't even know the where. And Jesus' response uh, to that question, we read it earlier. I'm going to ask you to say it with me. His response was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Amen. We're going to jump down now. Uh, If you have your copy of God's Word, to verse 8 of chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am? Am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father's who lives in me, does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. And I'm going to jump down real quickly down to uh, verse 16. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So we have kind of a a pattern forming here. Simon Peter asked a question, and Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. In the middle of those set of verses, Thomas says, how can we know the way we don't know the where? And then here again, we have Philip. He poses this statement to Jesus. And so all of these what might seem random things are provoked by the questions of the people Jesus loves so much, his disciples, their questions, their comments. And this is one from Philip here. Philip uh, poses this statement, this question, as it were, um, and that's kind of a theme we see here. All these questions Jesus is granting answers to. But more than that, he's granting peace to their troubled hearts and minds. Jesus gives them, and I believe us, a glimpse here in this set of verses into the very powerful 
yet mysterious, harmonious, and beautiful doctrine of the Trinity, the Godhead. I'd love for you to point your attention to the screen behind me for just a moment. How many persons are in the Godhead? That's, that's the goon squad, okay? That's the goon squad. Those are my kiddos. Um, we go through this book with them called The Catechism for Kids, and we pose these questions, and they give Bible-based doctrinal responses that are true of God's Word, and that's one of the questions. How many persons are in the Godhead? And so they didn't just know that, okay? That took lots of practice for them to know that. And you know they're rednecks because they can't just say God the Holy Spirit. They have to say God the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but we let it go for the sake of, of learning good things. So here we get a glimpse into the Trinity. And, and I'll, um, I'll just say this. I, I, think that, um, I think the doctrine of the Trinity, man, is oh so important. And uh, one of the persons of the Trinity I fear that we, we don't give enough attention to is the Holy Spirit. Um, and just real quickly, so there's a, uh, a very famous songwriter back in the day who, um, who did a gig, a show at this place. He was leading worship, doing a concert kind of thing. And somebody came up to him after the concert and he said, uh, man, I just want you to know, I really felt the Holy Spirit of God in that last song. And and the artist said, uh, if you don't mind my asking, what, what part in the song did you feel the Spirit move? And he said it was, it was in the bridge, right there in that bridge section. Oh, I just felt the Holy Spirit. And the artist said, oh, okay. Just so you know, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was the kick drum. Am I right, Dustin? So <clears throat> sometimes I think we get a little confused, and that's just for humor. But I will say this. Uh, we cannot fully comprehend the unity of the Godhead. Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, but I do believe that we should believe it. If you look back at verse 10 in our text, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Don't you believe that? Jesus' disciples were saying, Jesus, show us a glimpse of the Father, and he's saying, I've been with you this whole time. I've been with you this whole time. The powerful person of the Holy Spirit, the powerful person of Jesus Christ the Son, the powerful person of the Father, collectively together, are the Godhead. God three in one, the Trinity, as we commonly know it. This person specifically, the Holy Spirit, is the powerful person, the Bible tells us, that raised Jesus back to life. So we are in Christ. He says in this text, he is in the Father. And then in telling us about the Holy Spirit, we gather that he is in us via the Holy Spirit. This should give us great peace, church. The God of the universe, the Father to whom we pray to, the powerful Savior, Jesus Christ, we are in him. And he, through the Holy Spirit of God, is in us. This is how we join with Jesus in his suffering. This is how we die with him and we are buried with him. And this is how we are raised to new life in Christ. The truth of our union with Christ is 
paramount to our faith, church. Jesus is spending his last moments explaining it very clearly. When Keaton would have reclused, Jesus is spending time plainly teaching his disciples what love our Savior has for us. Our union with Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit also affords us the opportunity to be obedient. Obedient to Christ. Look with me in uh, verse 16. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you now. He lives with you, excuse me, he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit affords us the opportunity to be in Christ and to be obedient to this Christ. That's why we sing the song, Holy Spirit. Again, I'm afraid that that we just miss the deity of the Spirit of God. That's why we have some of the greatest theologians of our time, like Francis Chan has written a book called The Forgotten God. Because I I fear we've forgotten the power that lives in us. Do do, do we hear that, church? Let me read with us uh, from from Romans chapter 8. Verse 11, I've, I've already kind of uh, stolen my own thunder here, but let me read this for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? In you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. The same Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, church, lives in you. What a power that we have access to. Jump down with me again to um, to verse 21. John chapter 14, verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Again, the Holy Spirit in us, our access to the Godhead, affords us the opportunity for obedience. If you look back up at verse 12, verse 12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything In my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What? What did we just read there? What love did we just read about there? This love motivates us towards obedience. 
Like we read in verse 21. Okay, we, we get that part. It, we are to obey the commands of Jesus because of the love he's displayed for us. That same love motivates us towards obedience to his commands. But did, did he really say that you would do even greater works than he, Jesus, did? He also said that you could ask anything in his name. Let me ask this. If your heart was troubled, how many of you would be encouraged to hear that you can ask anything in the name of Jesus and he would do it? That would encourage your heart, right? If your heart's troubled, you would get peace knowing you can ask anything in Jesus' name and he will do it. So that's why we sing Jesus, Jesus. It was one of those moments, right? There a moment ago, we were singing that song and just proclaiming over and over again the sweet, precious sound, the name of our Savior, Jesus, Jesus. His name is powerful. How about this? Hearing Jesus say, that you would do the same works as him and even greater ones? How many of you, that gives you peace? That causes your heart not to be troubled. Jesus, who healed the sick and brought sight to the blind, you will do the same works as him. Jesus, who rebuked the error of the religious leaders when they were wrong, yet he had compassion on the adulterous woman and on small children. You will do the same work as him. Jesus, who preached to the multitudes, but also got away into the quiet to commune with his Father. You will do the same works as him. Jesus, who brought the dead to life and himself was resurrected to life after selflessly suffering on the cross of Calvary for your sins and for mine. You will do the same works as him and even greater works. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know what all that means. I don't. But Jesus said it, and I believe it. And here's what I think maybe he meant by that. Is there anything you can do to match or be greater than the magnitude of Jesus dying on the cross? No. <laughs> no. And Jesus isn't calling you to that. What I do think maybe he meant is that the idea of the kingdom work will continue through you. He's speaking to his disciples here. His disciples would go and continue the work of the ministry, ultimately working its way down the line to you and to me, the church of the living God. We would do what? The same works as him and greater works even? We will continue the ministry of the kingdom of God. I wonder if by saying that he meant, look, I'm trying to preach and proclaim the coming of the kingdom, but there's a big event that hasn't transpired yet. After my death on the cross, instead of proclaiming a kingdom to a people about an event that will happen, how a savior of the world will stand in your place, how he will redeem his people, you're going to proclaim the message of the gospel of the kingdom, of the living God, and you'll be able to look back and say, the cross, this is the hinging moment 
upon which the gospel hangs, Jesus, the perfect son of the living God, came as a lamb to slaughter and he hung on the cross to die in my place for my sins and for yours. This is the gospel. You can proclaim the same and even greater works because you can point people back to the cross, the cross that is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is the power to those of us who are redeemed. Todd preached a few weeks ago. He talked about some practical things. Um, The Empire of Rome established roadways, the Roman roads, that made the movement of the gospel faster, more efficient than it had ever been. You think down the line in history, well, closer to us than that, uh, the advent, the invention, sorry, of the printing press. Now, all of a sudden, scrolls of the Holy Scripture that would have had to have been spoken because you don't want to just pass them out willy-nilly. Now we can make copies of those things, and the gospel goes further, faster. Jesus spent almost all of his time pouring into a handful of disciples. Now, those handful of disciples are pouring into other handfuls of disciples, and the kingdom grows and grows and grows. You'll do the same works as him and even greater works. How about this? We have an ability to pray with one of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God residing in us, who the Bible says groans on our behalf. We have access to the Father because the Holy Spirit lives in us. You will do the same works Jesus says as me, and even greater works. He's telling us all of this to obey his commands, to be aware of this advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's telling us of this place that he has prepared for us one day in glory. All of this he's telling for our peace and to demonstrate his love. Oh, what love. Before I close, let me read a few more verses with you. From We're going to start at verse 22. Verse 22, Judas, this is not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple that had that same name, said to him, we're catching, yet here's another statement the disciples made, another question for Jesus. He said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, and I think in some ways kind of summed up everything he's said so far. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me, they will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift. Listen to this. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So, just as Jesus started, he wraps up. So don't be troubled or afraid. 
I don't know about you guys, but this, even this week, <clears throat> I've had to be reminded of God's peace. Um, and I like to maybe rationalize my stress or whatever by saying I don't really worry about the future a lot. I mean, I still do, but, but not too badly, I guess. But instead, I'm more stressed over what I can do in the present to make sure that pans out as well as it should. However you call it, it's anxiety. It's anxiousness. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be anxious. In fact, we see Paul say later in the scriptures um, to, to pray with thanksgiving and not be anxious. But Jesus says, don't be anxious. And even this week, I had to say, God, I got things I got to do. <laughs> I don't need to be messing about with all this. And God said, Keaton, I've got to stand up in front of some folks and tell them how to have peace. So here you go. Exercise what you're going to say. Have peace. Don't worry. Don't stress. I have needed peace. As we respond this morning, and I'm just telling you, that's, that was my response. I don't know if the Lord had a word just for me this morning. If so, so be it. But for you this morning, as you respond to the word of God, Maybe you've never experienced the peace of God. We're going to have a couple back at the Connect Corner. Stop by there and ask them how you can have this peace that we've talked about this morning. They would love to tell you about a God who invites you into relationship with him. Maybe you need to be reminded again to have peace. Please connect with someone this morning. If you're watching us online, text CONNECTHC to 94000 and write in there, or if you're here in person in the prayer request section, write in there what you need God's peace for. Maybe write in there what you have experienced God's peace for. We love to read answers to prayer, and we love to read about victories. We love to celebrate what God is doing in your life. And lastly, take action. When the stress and anxieties and worries creep up on you this week, stop. Be still. And hear the God of peace speak peace over you. He holds everything in his hands. Nothing takes him by surprise. Rest in his peace. As a church, we'll be putting out a reading plan on anxiety soon. We invite you to jump in that reading plan. Maybe that's a good action step for you. Whatever it is, allow the God of peace to rule in your life today. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we've experienced your presence in worship this morning. We thank you for the sacrifice of the Son of God. His name is Jesus. Who has prepared a way for us to be in your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter, the spirit of the living God who is at work in us and who indwells us. God, 
I pray your peace over your people this morning. I pray that they would pray and ask for your peace over them this week. Help us to respond well. In Jesus' name, amen.